What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the podcast, episode 16. As always, Noah Gayhart, Rob Rundle. And what a week, man, um, just in general. Uh, I'm going to start out by saying that, thankfully, I tested negative for the coronavirus. I had some pretty bad symptoms. Those symptoms from my back kind of went to my chest, and I was kind of worried for a second. I was displaying some signs of the coronavirus, but thankfully, I tested negative. And, um, you know, it really just makes you want to be really careful and stuff like that when you do go out in public and whatnot. But uh, how was is, how is your week, Noah? I guess a lot better than yours. I mean, I didn't have to get tested for coronavirus, so I guess that's a, a start. Dude, I'm it was so bad, by the way. glad you're feeling a little bit better because, I mean, it had to, be suck, it had to suck and it had to be kind of a scary situation for you. But yeah, I don't know. I just – it feels like life's just a bit draining at this point. I feel like there's so much negativity, and rightfully so, with all the protests and everything else that's going on in the mm-hmm. country right now. And especially, I don't know if any of our viewers have been out protesting or anything like that, but prayers for all those people, make sure that they stay safe and stuff like that. But I don't know, it's nice to just step away and talk about baseball for an hour and just kind of step away from all the negativity that there is in the world right now and just, you know, get back to the good times. I honestly could not agree more. And that was the best statement I've heard all week because, you know, there is a lot of negativity going around on Facebook and I understand and whatnot, but it is good to like kind of step away from anything, even like the coronavirus and whatnot, and just kind of go back to baseball because that's kind of our getaway. You know, that was always my Mm -hmm. getaway as a kid and it still is now. And it really sucks that there's still no baseball going on per se, at least at the major league baseball level. We know the KBO is still going strong. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that here later on in the podcast, but I wanted to ask you too, man, have you started yet with, uh, PBR? No. So I haven't started with them. We'll start events. Basically the holdup has been that just with Bashir and all the trying to get back to doing stuff safely and just kind of get back to like a closer to normal way of life. It's basically just waiting for that deadline for, Hey, you can start youth baseball and start doing that stuff again. So I think the deadline, at least is currently set, is June 15th for as far as when youth baseball and stuff like that can kind of get back to rolling again. And so I think the first actual event event with PBR will be the 23rd of June at uh, the Florence Freedom, or I guess the Florence Y'all's now. If you're from the area, you probably know where that is. But yep. um, but basically, we're just kind of waiting on that and just getting stuff scheduled, stuff like that. So as far as real events go, that'll be the first one. I'm sure we'll probably have meetings before then to get things set up. But yeah, that's kind of where it's at right now. Yeah, and Boxberger season mentioned that they're already playing in Wisconsin, which doesn't surprise me. I know a lot of states are, but Kentucky is behind most other states, which is fine because, you know, we close things down later than other states. So it kind of evens itself out. But for those that don't know, uh, PBR isn't just in Kentucky. It's it's spread out across uh, most states in the United States, and it stands for Prep Baseball Report, and it's very similar uh, to what they call a perfect game, I would say. It's mm-hmm. where, you know, you can go to a showcase and get noticed by scouts and everything like that. But, you know, we talk about perfect game, perfect game, that brand. I think it transitions very nicely into our first topic of today's podcast, which is Imperfect, uh, the documentary of the long, great uh, Doc Holiday. And uh, Noah, I just kind of wanted to get your first takes on it before we kind of dive deep into this documentary man what did you what did you think about it well first off i want to say a great segue i was kind of wondering how you were going to get there and and you really pulled it off but uh <laughs> you know i'm just i'm just getting better i think i'm a veteran now 
Yeah, you really are. Um, yeah. You know, I watched it today. I didn't get to catch it when it was live on TV, so I recorded it, caught up today and watched it, and it was really good. I don't I, – I, I mean, I expected it to be good, but I just felt like, like I got more emotional than I had thought I would initially, like watching it. I don't know. And, like, at times it's almost a tough watch because you – I mean, and you, if you've seen the documentary, then you kind of know what I'm getting at here. But if you haven't, then definitely go watch it. It's yeah. just you, you really only get to see like one side of these guys. And it's just what they do when they're out on the field or how they carry themselves. And then there's just this whole other person that, you know, you don't really know about and they could be struggling with anything. And so I, it was pretty eye opening from that aspect as far as because we talk about athletes all the time on here and stuff like that. And it's just eye opening to think about like there's more to it than just the statistics that they put up. Yeah, and I think that's a great comment because, you know, it was mentioned in the documentary, too, about how, you know, fans come to the ballpark to see you pitch, you know, and, like, you'll do anything you can to ensure that and you want to do the best for your team. A modern-day pitcher that I see a lot of my – or a lot – I was going to because that, that phrase sounded weird, sorry. A pitcher that I see similar to Roy Halladay in today's times is Max Scherzer. I really do because I feel like Max – he just puts it all on the table. He'll do whatever he can, regardless of what injury or what stuff is going on, even though I think what he did differently than Roy was he did step away for a moment and, you know, he let his injuries heal. Uh, I, I'm not going to go into detail and spoil it for everyone who hasn't seen it yet, but you can watch it on the ESPN app. You can log in with your cable provider. For me, I use YouTube TV, but... It really is more than just a game. And it's crazy when you think about it. I will say this. I didn't realize that his best years really were with the Blue Jays, per mm. se. Because, you know, you see the perfect game and stuff like that, and then the no-hitter against the Reds. It's like, oh, wow. But really, he kind of deteriorated and fell off with the Phillies, if you really think about it. Yeah, I, and it's it's interesting that you mentioned, like, because, like, for me, when I really started like forming like memories with baseball that like I truly like remember, remember, like obviously like, I remember stuff from like 2007, 2008, but like even then I was only like eight years old. So it's like how much yeah. you really, but like yeah. that, that 2010 postseason when he like, or when he was traded to the Phillies as his first year and he ended up throwing like the, the no hitter against the Reds in the playoffs. That's like one of the first baseball memories that I even have. So yeah. for me, I always, always associated him as a Philly just cause I, I just remember him dominating us. And so it, it was interesting to kind of see that, that, that for so long he was so good with the Blue Jays, which makes sense. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. so Yeah, and that that's the crazy thing. you Because know, I'm kind of in the same boat. Granted, I was, I'm a couple years older than you. But when I think back to the late 2000s or even 2010, the only thing I can think of is like, okay, I think of that, Doc Holliday throwing the no-hitter against the Reds. I think of the Reds-Cardinals brawl. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think of the Rays making the ALCS, like like in 2008. That's really the first baseball memories that come to my mind around that time, which is crazy. And we did grow up basically on Roy Halladay on the Phillies, and he was only on the Phillies for legit three seasons, and he didn't even play a f- the full 2013 season because of you know the addiction problems and right. stuff like that. But I kind of wanted to go in detail and tell everyone that – Everyone has their own issues. It's okay to talk about it. And whether you're struggling with opioids or whatever it may be, um, it's okay to seek help. You know, don't ever think that people judge you. If they do judge you, just 
wash it off like just wipe it off it doesn't matter you know i think that saying where it's like there's like what 86,400 seconds in a day and like how are you gonna let 10 seconds of your day affect you and they kind of translate that into something <coughs> else or but it's a really good point you know if if it's not gonna affect you in five years from now or something like that don't let it don't let it bother you don't let people that don't know you um try to change the way you view things okay um but what else do you have to say about that documentary man because like his wife mentioned time and time again how imperfect the whole scenario was yeah i mean it's just i don't know it's it's crazy i think i, I mean i don't really want to get into specifics just because i don't want to spoil yeah. like the parts that i felt like like i yeah. don't want to give away quotes that i thought <laughs> damn that really hit like i'd rather people get right, to experience right. some of that stuff watching it but i i mean it's just i mean i think you kind of hit the nail on the head like don't let other people judge how you're going to feel about yourself because ultimately like you're you're going to make yourself happier than like like you shouldn't depend on others completely for your happiness or how you feel about yourself that should come your self-worth should come from you don't let others define who you are and i mean i just reiterating what you said like if you need help with with anything don't be afraid to ask for it whether it's something like a physical addiction, like if it's alcohol or opioids, which is what Holiday struggled with, or if it's just like mental stuff, like if you have really bad anxiety or depression or just any other mental disorder, don't like, don't be afraid to go out and ask for help and try to, you know, resolve those things. Yeah. And I do want to preface by saying Holiday, Holiday didn't just take opioids to take them. And you'll see that throughout the documentary. So don't, don't assume anything. You really need to watch the documentary especially for baseball fans it's something new and like Noah said he's a hall of famer and he deserves to be a hall of famer and it is a really really good documentary sit down it's only an hour and it's on ESPN uh, but I think we could kind of transition uh, from that because as we know in ESPN the KBO is being played around 3 a.m. to 4 a.m. there's no major league baseball being played and at this point in time it really looks like this 2020 season is going to be a wash yeah, it really does. And and I'll mention just because I think that you, you brought up Max Scherzer and I think that that even makes a good transition to here that he came out with the quote basically saying that the MLB's first offer to the Players Association to get the season rolling again was pretty much just complete BS. And so I commend Max Scherzer for going out and say that. I don't yeah. have a full quote on me at hand, but definitely go go out and look that up because it was a it was a good, strong quote, especially from one of the guys that's kind of at the top of the Players Association. So do you want to go ahead and get into maybe a little bit of what the MLB had offered and then we can kind of move from there? Or how do you want to? I was going to say I'll let you do that because I want to get your opinions on it first. Like, okay. cause yeah. and plus, so, you're more of the statistical guy anyway, as we know. Basically, the MLB came to the Players Association, and, and I, I want to preface this again, and I know we've said this a bunch of times, but I really want to nail it home. The, the MLB Players Association has already agreed – to a 50% prorated pay cut. So if they play 81 games, they're only getting half of their salary. Which so makes sense. It's 50% cut that they've agreed to already. Well, the MLB players or the MLB came and offered the player association basically another 50% cut from that 50%, so they'd be making roughly 25% of what they should be making and this year. That's pre-tax. It's pre-tax too. Right, which is also pre-tax. So basically, and it was it was a sliding scale, so it was a little bit different. Uh, basically the guys that make the most money would take the biggest pay cuts and the guys that were making like a million dollars or less would make like, would take the smallest pay cut. But even the, even like the small guys, like let's say a guy's making a million dollars, 
he was still only going to make like 480 something thousand, which is still less than 50% of what they were supposed to make anyways. So to me, the whole thing's shady because it seems like to me, the MLB was trying to basically pin the players that weren't making as much money against the players that were making the most money and basically just trying to tear apart the players association and make them argue with themselves to kind of take the shift the blame away from the ownership. At least that's how I saw it. Well, here's, and I, I want to read a great quote here from Jerry Carabas, the uh, podcast lead uh, from Starting Nine. So you mentioned Scherzer, and he quoted that tweet and said, full prorated salaries is what's fair. Players can't ask for more money midseason. Why should players have to take even less because an unforeseen circumstance costs owners money? A contract is a contract. You own the business. You assume the risk. If that, that, that's what I've been trying to say for the longest time, and it makes complete sense. Like, you do right. assume the risk. No one expects something like the coronavirus to take ownership of sports, to take over businesses, small businesses, you know, uh, friendships, families. And, you know, not only are these guys going to be taking basically a 25 or 75% pay cut now that we think about it, they can't see their family members. They're going to be playing double headers. They're putting their, their, their arms, their abilities at risk because mm -hmm. you get used to the system. You know, you have spring training for a month. Okay. And then you have one off day maybe every two weeks. Maybe you have two off days every two weeks. It just depends. With this, you might not even get an off day. Your off right. day is just you sitting the bench one game. You know what I mean? It, you still yeah. have to go through all these tribulations and whatnot. And I, I think the, the crazy thing is, too, I, I think I saw it from Jeff Passan, I believe. Here we go. So per... So, Jeff Passan, potential salary cuts in MLB plan. This was according to Jesse Rogers of ESPN. So, let's, let's say Mike Trout, he's making 34 mil, but let's just say he's making 35 a year, his mm -hmm. AAV. So, that's average annual value on his $430 million contract. You're telling me Mike Trout's going to make $7.84 million? Your best player, generational player? You really think he's going to okay, play? We'll, we'll get this because this is where I wanted to go as well. Okay. That $7.8 million is also not even $7.8 million because that includes if you get all playoff bonuses, which let's be honest, the Angels aren't going to get full playoff bonuses. Oh, does it so include all bonuses? The, yeah. So that so that seven point eight is not even seven point eight. That's, That's bad. just if you win the That's World ridiculous. Series and get all of the bonuses up to that point. So like, why would, why would he risk you know, his career, especially, like I said, you're used to the fundamental system every year 162 games that's what training is for it's hard to train and get ready for a season with what two weeks of spring training they call it and then just jumping into games it it just doesn't make sense to me and then you're going to give the pay cut to the best players who make the most money they're the ones that are going to win you the games get you that tv revenue it's just it's mind-boggling to me i don't understand just, just do the fifty percent. It makes sense because eighty-one games, half the season, half the pay. I get that, but mm -hmm. then I also see where Jerry Carabas comes in. It's like, no, full prorated salary. Like you, you have to bite the bullet. It's one season. Right. I mean, it's just it's it's one of those things where it's they didn't want to share the money when they were what like the last four years they've had like incredible revenues from just growing on the TV side and stuff like that, and then. We have one year that's a loss, and then suddenly, oh, we're broke, and we can't even afford any of this. And so we're cutting minor leaguers and getting rid of minor league teams and cutting the draft. And it's like, 
you just made a ton of money these last four seasons. Like what happened to all of that? And, and the other thing, the other thing that really made the player association mad is that the MLB owners aren't, they're not willing to open their books and show you. It'd be one thing if the MLB said, Hey, we're offering you this. Like we need you to take another 25% because we actually can't afford it. Here are our books. You can look at them yourselves and see that the money's not there, but they're not willing to do that. So basically we're just, we're just supposed to trust the owners that, that they're, like, they're just saying they can't afford it. We're just supposed to trust that. And the players are just supposed to trust that, which I think is a big load of BS if you ask me. It, it really is, but shout-out to the Kansas City Royals, by the way, for uh, paying their employees, I'm going to say, through September, which is incredible because um, yep. there have been teams like the hat I'm wearing that have stopped paying their, their minor leaguers. And think about this for an instance. Say you're the Oakland Athletics, right? You have a draft coming up in, what, a week and a half, June 10th? Yep. How are you going to expect players to sign with you in this draft – when you literally just cut minor league player salaries and a, what is it, a thousand minor leaguers have already lost their jobs. I don't, I, I don't even understand why they're drafting this year, to be honest with you. I really don't at this point. I just don't well, get it. They should probably like, they should be drafting, but I mean the way that they've cut the draft, like, like I, I guess like they should be drafting, but they shouldn't be drafting the way they're drafting. And so because they're only drafting five rounds and they're already screwing up a whole bunch of stuff and not willing to pay the players anyways, like that's what makes it weird. I do want to touch a couple points of things that you've mentioned just quickly passing through. The Twins also have agreed to pay all their players and not release anybody. Uh, so also commended them. The same situation as the Royals. The Royals were just the first to do it, so they kind of get the big publicity bump. Um, the releasing of all the players was another thing that you mentioned, and it's tough because of the time and because they're all doing it at once, but. These are pretty much the same cuts that would have happened over the course of spring training between minor league camp and major league camp anyways. Teams typically cut somewhere in the 25 to 35 range of players over the course of spring training. And so that amongst the 30 teams is basically where that 900 number or roughly in there in terms of players cut. So okay. it's it's okay. just it's tough because of the time that we're at and because you see teams being like, oh, like we're going to pay this amount of money to players each month, and then they cut a bunch of guys. Like It, it looks bad because of the timing, but really it's kind of the same cuts that would have happened anyways. Uh, but yeah, bad day for you to be wearing that hat, considering that uh, the the A's are crying the poorest again, which I, I don't know about that. Uh, they've done the... They, if, they, if, if they paid the $400 that pretty much every other team is choosing to pay their players through the end of August, it costs them roughly a million dollars maybe a million and a half if you really stretch it but i mean that's not a whole lot of money to the athletics it's not a whole lot of money to their owner who's worth two two billion dollars and i get that a lot of people don't want to bring in owners personal wealth because at the end of the day like owning these teams is a business for them and so like that makes sense why they don't want to pour all of their personal finances into their business but I find it very hard to believe that the owner of the Oakland Athletics, who's worth $2 billion, even if he doesn't have a million dollars on hand, can't get a line of credit from a bank for a million dollars if he's worth $2 billion. Like, surely he's got enough collateral to do that, you know? And it's just for a season. Like, like Rob has said, once again, you assume the risk. It's just part of it. You right. know, you have to pay the players. You have to. I would... I'm surprised they haven't protested at all or, like, you know, gone on. I, I feel like there's about to be a big strike about to happen with Major League Baseball like we saw in, what was it, 94 when there wasn't a World Series? 
Yeah, I mean, well, that's the scary thing because it's like the collective bargaining agreements next year. So, like, do we not see baseball for like two seasons? Because oh my gosh, like they're just, not going to want to agree oh, to play the way that the, the way that things are between the owners and the players currently. It's uh, it's pretty rough. You know, it is funny though that with the mass release of the minor leaguers, like those nine hundred to a thousand players, whatever the number kind of ends up being once it becomes like finalized, like. All of those guys are probably going to make more on un- unemployment than they're going to make as minor leaguers. That's a, yeah, that's that's a good point. One thing I, I didn't think about too. Think about the independent league teams. How much they hurt from this too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because let's say the Florence Yalls, they get to play their season, right? Awesome. Right. Well, they make a lot of their money from purchase contracts. They make thirty thousand dollars every time a player signed to a team. Okay, why would, let's say, the Cincinnati Reds, especially the Oakland Athletics, want to sign an independent player from a team costing them $30,000? You know, they're not even willing to pay minor leaguers $400. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's really going to hurt them, too. Like, this isn't just a Major League Baseball thing. This goes across all aspects, okay? Even high school ball, like, let's say you have an absolute stud coming out or you, okay well they're going to take a draft pick away from a potential college player who's grinded mm-hmm. for four years you know yep. it, it just it's just really really bad it's just mm. people don't understand the whole complexity of it's more than just major league baseball that's affected by this yeah it's definitely i don't i mean i just there's not much else to say on it other than like it just it really sucks and i think that I think the owners are being greedy. I get that there are people out there that think it's the other way around. I don't really get their side of the argument, but uh, it just sucks. And I know I got a Bleach Report. Uh, I can't remember what the actual reporting source was, but I remember getting the notification today that some of the owners have come out and said that they're like, yeah, we just were willing to not even play in 2020 just to save on payroll. And so it's just it's incredible to me how they're just willing to kind of just let the entire season and everything just flop just to save some money. Yeah, well, that's. I think that's all I have to say on it. But I just want to remind everyone too, as we continue throughout this podcast, if you aren't listening live, you can listen to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, on our website, which is scrolling across the top here, www.chalktalknation.com. Uh, shall we move on to what the people are here for? Yeah, we can get into some some top ten right fielders. Okay, I got a coin. We're gonna flip again. Um, I'll let I'll let you call it in the air. I'll take tails. Uh, you just, I, I trust you just flip it. It's heads, so I will let you go first. I mean, okay. All right. <laughs> I defer. I defer. <laughs> yeah, it's gutsy. I can see you helping on the back half, I guess. You know, second half when we come out. They had but, us. Uh, in, they had us in the first half, but I'll tell you what, we came back in the second half and we won yeah. the game. <laughs> I love that video. I know, that's so funny. But uh, so uh, I've got Nick Castellanos as my number 10. Uh, okay. Number 10 was a really hard spot to choose. I mean, there are a lot of guys that have a, genu- a genuine case. I do want to quickly mention before we get in here, there are two guys that I didn't really even consider just because of injury concerns. So like Mitch Hanniger, I couldn't find any information on when he was supposed to return. So he's a guy I just kind of excluded. Well, from his, season, his season wasn't even that good anyway. He hit like 225, 230. Well, yeah, and I'm just – he did. It, He's a guy that I think deserves to be in the conversation when he's healthy and yeah. just yeah. who knows when he's going to return. And then the other guy that probably would have made my list is Trey Mancini, but he's mm. dealing with the cancer situation. And I saw a quote from him saying that he didn't think that even with the treatments that he'd be back this season. So that's another guy that I 
didn't consider. So I just real, wanted to put real that quick, out. real quick. Yeah. I, don't, I I agree with Noah here because I mean you could you could easily put him in your top ten as a right. player the season he had and for him to do that against the AL East. I'm just gonna we need to devote like three minutes real quick to Trey Mancini for real because the season that he put up. Okay, the season that he put up, especially with the pitchers in that division, it was very impressive, and mm-hmm. the, especially with the uh, with the um, the slugging percentage and whatnot with that team that he had. <laughs> yeah, this is a guy that really needs an opportunity. I hope he comes back uh, better than ever. Prayers out to him. But I mean, what do you think about Mancini? Like, I feel bad for him. I yeah. mean, obviously, I feel bad for him for the health, but I feel bad for him because he's stuck in Baltimore. I mean, he's all star level player. Yeah, for uh, sure. Year in and year out hits a crap out of the ball when he's healthy and just like I feel like he's just kind of wasting the prime of his career in Baltimore I almost wish that they would just trade him to a contender that way because I feel like he's a guy that doesn't really get a whole lot of national press just because he's in Baltimore and they win like 40 games a year so no one's going to watch their games anyways and so I feel like he's just not getting the recognition that he deserves as a player and so it's just kind of unfortunate well and he came up with the Orioles after they made the playoffs, you know, all those right. great years that they had when they won like 95 ball games. So he's really seen the short end of the stick and he's about to hit his arbitration year. And I'm really excited to see. He, I hope he gets all the money he can. It's going to be hard, though, especially because he has he's going to miss this season, potentially next season. So no matter what, it seems like Mancini's just getting screwed. Yep. But OK, number 10. What you got? Yep, so I've got Nick Castellanos, 28 years old, newly acquired, uh, tied for highest paid contract ever for the Cincinnati Reds out of free agency. Uh, 151 games last year, 27 home runs, hit 58 doubles, which is crazy. Uh, 289, 337 OBP, and a 525 slugging percentage. Uh, 360 weighted on base average and 121 WRC plus puts him decently above average as far as hitting goes. Pretty abysmal defensively, which shouldn't come as a shock to anyone that's ever watched him play. I mean, he just looks pretty lost out there. There's nothing <laughs> nothing more to say about that, yeah. really. But he got traded from the Tigers to the Cubs at the deadline last year, and I he just found it, I guess. I just went off. Dude, he got like, mad at some baseballs. Yeah. 51 games, hit 16 home runs, hit 321. <laughs> Uh, 154 oh WRC God. plus and a 4 408 weighted on base average accumulated two of his 2.8 F4 for the season in those 51 games for the Cubs and I swear all 16 of those home runs came against the Reds or at least it felt like it I mean he just absolutely mashed and I think that that's gonna be closer to the player we see here on out now I get like you know like it's 51 games like sure he's gonna come back to earth some but he's been playing in comerica ballpark for the longest time now and like that's not an easy place to hit and it's not an easy place to put up strong offensive numbers like you look at 58 doubles and that's coming the majority in comerica and in wrigley as his home ball fields if you were to chart those on top of like great american ballpark suddenly those 58 doubles like 15 to 20 of them are probably landing in the first two or three rows of great american ballpark and so I think he's going to be a stud offensively, defensively. It's going to be a huge question mark. Maybe if we do get a 2020 season underway and he gets to use a DH role some, then that could even boost him further. But I think the offensive prowess is there enough to at least get him on the list at 10. Yeah. Comerica Park, I think, is got to be the like the top pitcher's ballpark in Major League Baseball, unless I'm forgetting another park. But... I mean, I, mean, I know it's, Oakland it's is, but there. yeah, Comerica is insane. Like it's, I know Wrigley is hard, um, Oakland's hard, but I think Comerica might be the the toughest place. And like you said, 
that's a complete 360 from Comerica Ballpark to Great American. Right. It's insane. And uh, But I do not have him as my number 10, actually. I have him a little bit up. But my number 10 is Mike Yastrzemski, Young Yaz. Uh, I know that you mentioned he's not on your list. He was a, uh, a contender. Uh, Mike Yastrzemski, in his first year, he, he played in 107 games uh, and 411 uh, played appearances. He had 21 bombs, uh, 55 RBIs, which doesn't really – I don't really pay attention to that much of a stat. Uh, OBP 334. His OPS was 852, 123 OPS plus. This is a guy who is going to fit real nicely into this system. I know last year especially, Steven Duggar was the most coveted prospect that they had in playing mm-hmm. for them. But Yastrzemski had the better year and didn't put up that great a defense. But with him being young, and I think 107 games is a good enough sample size. Um there's another player to mention here that has played actually in the same amount of games, I think. And I understand it's hard to to put players in their first season like that, but I do think he's a special player. And as we know, uh, his grandfather, the great Red Sox, Yastrzemski, I think it's in the blood. So I think he's going to have a pretty solid career. So he's my number 10. Yeah, I mean, like you mentioned, he's a guy that didn't make my list just because – well, for one, I didn't want to say his last name a bunch of times. So. <laughs> yeah, Shrimsky, <laughs> yep, Shrimsky. Right. But, uh, I mean, only only 107 games, and I, and I get that, like, you know, he call, got called up, so what are you really going to do about that? But 28 years old as a rookie, uh, with only 107 games played, I think that those two factors combining are a little bit too much for me to just put him on the list immediately. Uh, 353 weighted on base average and 121 WRC+. plus. Do place him roughly in the same ballpark as Nick Castellanos in terms of offensive production, but Nick Castellanos is actually a year younger, has more experience in the big leagues, and I think that if you look at where I think Nick Castellanos is headed in terms of offensive production now playing in Great American Ballpark, then his numbers are going to be way better, and so that's why I ended up giving the edge to Nick Castellanos there, but I do see the merit in putting a guy like Yastrzemski on the list. Well, thank Uh, you. What was his last name again? Mike Yastrzemski. (laughs) I just wanted to hear you say it again. (laughs) Yeah. So at number nine, I've got a dude that kind of came into his own last year in Max Kepler, 27 years old for the Minnesota Twins. Uh, Only 134 games last year, but in those 134 games, he had a pretty great offensive season, 36 home runs, 252, 336, 519 slash line. Uh, Another guy with a 121 WRC plus. It seems kind of to be the theme here at the bottom of the list. Uh, 4.4 war. Did it defensively as well with eight defensive runs saved and four outs above average. Actually, he's ended the season uh, 20th in MVP voting, so obviously there are enough people out there that thought he was good enough to deserve some MVP votes. But the one knock on him and why I left him this low on the list is because uh, the guy that I'll get to at 8 here in a minute had a bit longer of a successful track record than he did. And this is also Max Kepler's first season with a WRC WRC plus above 100. And so it's kind of one of those things where how how true is this offensive production – in terms of what he's actually capable of and how much can we associate with the juice ball last season. And so I'd like to see a bit longer of a track record before I move him way up this list, but he's definitely another guy that at 27, he's just coming into his prime and he's definitely going to be a good player for years to come. Yeah. Kepler, <clears throat> excuse me. Kepler's a special player. Uh, that is for sure. I, I like that pick. Uh, but my number nine, who is your number 10 is Nick Castellanos. Uh, Castellanos. I'm not going to go in the details like you did, but, this is a guy who can very well hit 45 home runs 
uh, probably not this year if there is baseball right. because of the 81 games and the fact that they might not even play at Great American Ballpark. But right. but I th- do you know what his contract was? How long was it? Four years. Yeah, so it's four. But years it's an opt out. It's million, a weird contract, it's isn't a re- it? They, it's a really weird. Uh, so like, he technically has an opt out after this 2020 season, oh. and then he also has an opt out after the 2021 season. Could so you imagine no baseball play? Just like, nah, screw it. I'm not going to the Reds. Thanks, though. I mean, the way that the owners are refusing to dish out money, that'd be a pretty bold move for him to take right now. But more power to him, I guess, if that's the route he decides. Ah, dude, I just want to see him hit some bomb skis at Great American. So bad. But, yeah, so he's my number nine. Okay. Well, at number eight, I've got another 27-year-old in Michael Conforto of the New York Mets. Uh, 151 games last year, so he did get to play a lot. 33 home runs, 257, 363, 494, uh, 126 WRC+. So we're kind of moving up that leaderboard a little bit. Uh, 358 weighted on-base average is also really well above average. Uh, he also got it done defensively with eight defensive runs saved and seven outs above average, which is pretty good, especially considering what some of the other guys have put up on this list here in the bottom tier. Uh, he's actually tied for second outs above average for right fielders. And then kind of like what I mentioned before, he's a longer track record than Kepler. Like what I mentioned, Kepler, this is his first season with a WRC plus above 100. And since the offensive numbers were pretty comparable between the two of them with uh, Conforto getting on base a bit more, I, I think 30 points higher in terms of OBP. And so I gave the edge to Conforto here at eight. Yeah. Conforto, he, he's one of those players, man. It's, I'd say he was my number 11. I mean, he, it's just so hard. You could fluctuate all these players, you know, like, yeah, like I mentioned being my number 10, you know, he could be a number 14 or I mean, it's so close when you really think about it. Uh, I don't hate that at all, but I will say my number eight, who is your number nine is Max Kepler. Um, I'm going to touch base a little bit more on, on Max. Uh, let's see. 2019 was definitely a breakout year for him. Uh, hit 252. In 2018, he only hit 224. We, we saw 118 OPS points like added on in 2019. He's kind of a guy, kind of like Mitch Garver in a way, that's just gotten progressively better every single year. And right. with that offense... Offense is deadly, man. So you makes I, you want it. Really makes you wonder what they're eating in Minnesota because they, I feel like they had so many guys just start hitting tank after tank nukes. last year. And that's a pitcher friendly ballpark. It really is. I mean, I don't think it's that hitter friendly, but they led all of Major League Baseball with home runs. I don't know by how many home runs, but I know it's pretty significant, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, they broke the the previous record in August. So, like, with a month to spare in the season, they but, broke the home run record. So, it's pretty the ball, crazy. But the balls were juiced, right? It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's still, like... I mean, it's still not, not let's break the home run record by a month juiced. So... <laughs> but, yeah, so Kepler, I mean, he's just now starting to enter his prime. Hopefully, he continues to build onto that. And, you know, he's got some good leadership there in the clubhouse now with Josh Donaldson coming in. I, I really like what I'm seeing out of Kepler, and I hope to push him up further on my list in the next coming year. So he's my number eight. Okay. Well, for me, I've got a 2019 All-Star at number seven in the 26-year-old Joey Gallo of the Texas Rangers. Oh. He's a guy that I was kind of wondering when he's going to pop up or be in the list for us to even put him in rankings. I feel like 
I, right field probably would have been about the last place I would have considered him to be a player, but shout out to MLB Network for deciding this is where he goes. So <laughs> here, here he is, finally. Here he is. Yeah, you're uh, hilarious. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so only 70 games last year dealt with injury problems. He was insane in those 70 games, uh, 22 home runs, uh, weighted on base average of 401, which is just elite level. Uh, put up 3.3 war. Uh, actually had a decent defensive season, five defensive runs saved. Also one out above average, but you got to keep in mind that he didn't get that many opportunities because he only played in 70 games, and that's kind of a cumulative stat. Uh, like I mentioned, was an all-star. The problem with Joey Gallo, though, is that I'm not sure how much I believe in these numbers. So his batting average and balls in play, which we've talked about a good bit on the podcast before, was 368. If you look at his 2018 numbers, Dude, that is so high. Wow. And in 2017, it was 250. Why so is it so at, fluctuated? That's crazy. I, don't, I guess he just got really lucky. So he, so I mean, that's a hundred and almost almost a hundred twenty point increase from what his numbers were in 2017, 2018 to twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen to twenty to what they were in twenty nineteen. So if you look at his twenty eighteen season where he played one hundred forty six games, he only hit two hundred six with a three twelve on base percentage, and then the slugging percentage was also a hundred points lower. Uh, looking at the WRC plus, it was also almost thirty points lower. His weight on base average was sixty points lower. So I, I'm not sure if I necessarily trust what his 2019 numbers were as much as I trust the 2018 numbers. I think it's probably going to be a case where he lies somewhere in the middle between those two. And even that still with the fact that he's as big as he is, hits as many home runs as he does and plays pretty good defense that still lands him at, you know, I think seven's a good spot for him. So it's interesting you say that because I wonder I, I want to see the the spray chart of where he's hitting these balls. Maybe that has to do with yeah. it. And like, well, who's all? It's where Joey Gallo hits the ball. <laughs> well, let me finish. What I'm saying is like, maybe he's hitting against the shift. There's no one on, or maybe there's runners on, and they can't be in the shift. Maybe that's why it's so inflated too. You know what I mean? More balls are getting through some way, somehow. Right, but that's not going to equate for a 120 point difference in your batting average. But see, that's what play. I'm saying. So it's it's kind of uh, that's weird. That's weird. I, I don't hate that spot, though. I don't hate that spot at all. My number seven, though, is Alex Verdugo. Um, Verdugo, the finally labeled as a rookie in 2019, I should say, with now the Boston Red Sox, part of that huge deal that we saw in the offseason. He, he had a little bit of game action in 2017 as well as 2018, but finally uh, found his stride when he was called up in 2019. He played in 106 games, but he was caught up. He played the rest of the season into the playoffs. Uh, very special player, I think. And better than Yaz, so that's why I have him up here. Uh, 294 batting average, 342 OBP, uh, 817 OPS, 114 OPS plus, so 14 points above average. I think he is just going to really get into a groove, get into a rhythm. I do think it's going to be interesting to see how he does fare out. Let's say there is baseball this year with that back injury. I think it's kind of been a blessing in disguise uh, for this time where he could actually recuperate and not try to rush into things because let's say you have that Doc Holliday mindset, right? You get traded for 2018 MVP and David Price, right? Mm. And there's a lot you have to live up to and you have to really try to win over those Boston fans and not playing is not going to uh, sit well with them. So I think this really does help with his with his mental health and his physical health as well. And I, I expect big things out of Alex Verdugo, man. I really like this kid. Uh, he's my age, which I think is crazy. Here I am, 240 pounds, five foot nine, retired out of college baseball. 
but I like Verdugo. I think seven's a good spot for him. Yeah, so I don't have Verdugo on my list. It's kind of basically what it comes down to is offensive prowess. And in the 106 games he had, he didn't show it to be better than any of the other guys I have on the list. I mean, 12 home runs. He had 294, which is, you know, that's fine for hitting for batting average. 342 on base percentage really is not going to blow anybody away. Only 114 WRC plus, which is lower than every other guy I have on the list as well. And actually by a decently significant margin. Verdugo is a guy that I expect in the future to be on this list. But at 24 years old, already having back problems, which tends to be an injury that sticks around throughout players' careers. And I think that with the added pressure of, like you mentioned, being traded for the recent MVP and guy that's going to be towards the top of this list for us, I think that you also have to account for the pressure that he's probably going to put on himself and the pressure that Boston's going to put on him because they just traded away Mookie Betts to get this guy. And so I just, for me, he's not there for the 2020 season, but I would expect that in the years to come, especially with only being 24, once he gets more playing time under his belt, that he'll be a guy that's going to end up on this list. It's literally going to be a make or break situation. Ha ha. Ha ha. Play on words right there. I'm very punny today, as as one could say. Okay, enough with the cringiness. On to my number six. My number six is Joey Gallo. You mentioned Gallo is your number seven. It was really hard because Gallo is one of those players you could put potentially at number five or you can put him at number 10. You can also put him at number 15. It really depends on your mindset of right. how I you guess do. it just believes it just depends how much you believe in the numbers is really that's what, what I'm it comes saying down to. Personally, I don't really believe in the numbers that much. Exactly. I, he's such a free swinger. Um, Joey Gallo, he did cut down on strikeouts, I guess, but really it's only because he played in 70 games. But in 70 games, he struck out 114 times. In 2018, he struck out 207 times. I mean, the dude is a free swinger machine, but, I mean, if I had his kind of power, I would swing at everything too, kind of like Vladimir right. Guerrero did. And Vladimir Guerrero was notorious for hitting the home run. I guess it was like off the ground or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but Joey Gallo is still really young. I never realized how young Joey Gallo was. I thought he was like 29 years old, like heading into his arbitration years. But this dude's only 25, 26. And he was an all-star last year. Really got into a stride hitting 253. Now, the only issue is, though, is the previous years, this dude barely hit over the Mendoza line, like 204, yep. 209. And so I'm very skeptical about this being kind of just an out-of-nowhere year and he's going to go back down to earth. But I don't know. Joey Gallo has a lot of swag to him, I think. And in that clubhouse, you know, new field, new uniforms, people label him as the face of the franchise kind of guy. And yep. it makes sense. I mean, there's really not a whole lot to look forward to there in Texas. But, I mean, maybe he has the same kind of year, but – this is as far as I could put him up on my list at number six. So he's yeah. my number six. Okay. Well, for me at number six, I actually have. Wait, wait, uh, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. You you skipped me at six. So wait, what did I wait? Yeah, you went back to back with Verdugo and Gallo. Did I really? So this was, yeah, this is just that second half deferral. Remember? <laughs> second half deferral. <laughs> oh no, no. Okay, you. Oh, jeez. Okay, I guess I'm first now. Okay, now who's your All number right. six? <laughs> so my number six, I've got uh, JD Martinez for the Boston Red Sox. Now. I went back and forth with where I was going to put him on this list because you can make the case for him being top four. Top but four? What? I don't even yeah. have him on my list. He's a DH. Well, okay, right. Well, that's that's kind of what I was getting at is that he was on the list for MLB Network for right fielders, so I included him on the list because he was on the list. But, I mean, he's a DH. Let's not kid ourselves. And so that's why I left him down at six because the offensive production is incredible. 
146 games, 36 home runs, 304, 383, 577, uh, slash line, 139 WRC plus, 386 weighted on base average. He's an all-star, got MVP votes this year. In 2018, he was an all-star, was fourth in the MVP voting, and won a silver slugger. So offensively, the dude's nuts, but I also, I get why you left him off your list because, I mean, he's a DH. Like, there's no way around it, so. Yeah, well, here's the thing. You play at Fenway 81 games of the year. You have that raw power. Let me hit the ball 310 feet. Let me get a home run. All I have to worry about is hitting. I don't know. It's kind of hard for yeah, me to have a home run. I mean, runs. and I get that. But, I mean, he still put up a 139 WRC+, plus, and that's a stat that's adjusted for park factors. So even after adjusting for Fenway, still roughly 40% above average as a hitter. So that, that landed him at six. But, again, like you could make the argument on offensive alone that he could be higher, but – as a DH on the right fielders list, I wasn't going to put him up that high. So he's my number six. All right. Well, go ahead with your number five. I want to be second. Okay. You want to be second. So at number five, I've got Bryce Harper, the 27 year old Philadelphia Philly, uh, 157 games, 35 home runs. Uh, you know, I mean, he's not been the MVP every year in year out type candidate that we expected him to be, but 125 WRC plus 365 weight on base average. Got it done defensively as well with 10 defensive runs saved and uh, one out above average. Uh, 260 batting average doesn't get to blow anybody away, but he does have a pretty good separation between that and his on-base percentage at 372. So it's a 110-point separation, which is good to see. Uh, guy that does it on both sides of the ball, plays with a lot of swagger. He's got the potential to blow up for a nine-more season. I mean, you just don't know. Like He's shown he's capable of it, so if he gets hot, then look out. I mean, he's kind of one of those guys where if he gets hot, he's going to be super hot for a month or two and just – put up insane numbers and so kind of like what i had said before i, I mean i put him above jd Mar- martinez because he plays defense when he plays defense decently well rookie of the year 2015 mvp six-time all-star bryce harper and i've got him at five okay okay my number five is aaron judge all rise by the way speaking of aaron judge did you see that video of his girlfriend or whatever I didn't see the video just that's ridiculous i, I would break time out of my day listen, to find it but. listen i would break up I would break up with a girl if, like, I was, you know, a major league baseball player. And they said, "Do you know who my boyfriend is?" It's just like that's an absolute embarrassment. Right. Yeah, I heard about it, and like that, that, I, that's just that's embarrassing. Like, how about yeah. you lay off the alcohol, huh? How about <laughs> just chill? <laughs> anyway, Aaron Judge is my number five. I can't put him up any higher for the simple fact that this guy is walking glass, and he kind of pisses me off to be honest with you because he's always injured, and I just. <sighs> It's frustrating, but when he does play, he does have really good numbers. He won the Rookie of the Year, as we know, in 2017, got the MVP stolen away from him. <clears throat> and uh, in 2019, though, he hit 272 still. I mean, the slugging is definitely there. It is weighted heavily, though, because 81 home games at Yankee Stadium. We all know it. But I think if you put him at any ballpark, I think he would still have those type of numbers. If they're not home runs, then they're in the gap, doubles, triples. He's pretty fast for his size, too. He plays some pretty good defense, too. Um, 27 bombs in 102 games. Not bad. I'll take that. And um, let's see. He did strike out a lot, though. He struck out 141 times, which is even more than Joey Gallo, which is crazy to say. Um, But I have Aaron Judge as my number five. Okay. For me, at number four, I've got uh, 22-year-old Ronald Acuna Jr. of the Atlanta Braves. Uh, wait, uh, what number? At number four. Okay, okay. 
156 games, 41 home runs, uh, 283, 65, 518 slash, uh, 369 weighted on base average, 126 WRC plus, 11 defensive runs saved, but was negative and outs above average. Uh, I mean, he had a really good season last year, almost went 40-40, ended up getting injured. I can't remember if it was a hamstring injury or something like that the last like week of the season, so he wasn't able to basically just steal every time he got on base to try and get that 40-40 season, so he ended with 37. He did also he did lead the league with the 37 stolen bases and also led in, in uh, runs. Ended up being fifth in MVP voting as well. Basically, I just I couldn't put him above the three guys I had ahead of him. I just didn't feel like he's there yet. I would imagine that he's got the chance to jump in there in the next year or two. But for me, it just he's an incredible player at only 22. But I'm just not ready to put him above the three guys I have ahead of him. Okay. Okay. So that's your number four. Um, yep. My number four is Bryce Harper. Uh, Bryce Harper, you can make a subjective case, kind of like Noah said. You had him at number five, right? Yeah. You could put him at number five. You can almost put him at number uh, seven as well. It really just kind of depends on your mindset, how you feel about Bryce Harper. I think everyone can agree that he's overpaid 100% by Philly. But, you know, the fans love him. He's the most marketable player across Major League Baseball. Although Trevor Bauer's coming for him, I'm telling you. Trevor Bauer's coming for him, and he might actually, now that I think about it this year, because he's the one putting out content daily, it seems like. Um, but Bryce Harper really didn't have that bad of a season last year. Uh, his 26-age season, uh, he hit 260, but his OBP was 112 points higher at 372, and he slowed 510. I don't hate that at all. 882 OPS especially with that team that they got forming. And another thing that I like about Harper, he's healthy, or at least he's more healthy than Aaron Judge. Played in 157 games last year in 2018, played in 159 games. And he's got a great eye at the plate. Um, I think he could work on his intangibles a little bit better, you know, about getting ejected and whatnot. But I think he plays with passion. And it's hard for me not to put Harper at four because he's, like you said, he's that kind of guy who could – who could just soar and have another 1,000 OPS season like he did in 2015 when he won the MVP. Uh, he's still a special player, I think, and I expect big things from him uh, in Philadelphia, so he's my number four. All right, for me, I have Aaron Judge, uh, 28-year-old New York Yankee at number three. Uh, like you said, only 102 games, but put up pretty insane offensive and defensive production in those 102 games. <laughs> And I know you had kind of ripped on me for having him ahead of Acuna, but... I didn't say anything. I did not say anything. You didn't have to say anything. I can see you. We're on <laughs> camera. So so here's, here's what I'll say. We'll do a little bit of comparison here. So keep in okay, mind, Acuna played 156 games. Judge only played 102. Judge hit 27 home runs. So Acuna's 41 in 54 less games. Batting average is only eight points lower. He's got a higher on-base percentage, a higher slugging percentage, a higher weighted on-base average a 15-point higher weighted runs created plus, which is park-adjusted, so even in, on a neutral playing field, he was a 15% better hitter last year. Put up 4.6 war, which is one war less than Acuna, but that's in 54 less games. I'm sure Judge would have accumulated at least one more war. He almost doubled uh, Ronald Acuna Jr.'s defensive runs saved. Acuna had 11. Aaron Judge had 20. And he had nine more outs above average, which is a, you know, an accumulative stats, which means that with 54 more games of opportunity, it would have been even higher. Uh, he was the highest outs above average right fielder uh, last season, which, again, is cumulative, and he didn't play a full season. Rookie of the year, two-time All-Star, 
should have been MVP in 2017 when he played fully healthy. I don't really care for knocking dudes for injury. I think that it's not really something within their control to be able to to do. Like it's not like they're going out there and intentionally getting injured. And so it's kind of hard to knock a guy like him for being injured when when he's on the field and healthy, he's putting up insane production. And so I wasn't going to knock him for that. And so that's why I've got him at three. Okay, I could I could definitely see the argument. I could definitely see the argument. But my number three is Ronald. And I'm not going to go into all the details like you did, but I, I just like Ronald better, man. I mean, he's 22 years old, and think about where Acuna is going to be at Judge's age. I guarantee he's not going to be injured, and I guarantee he's going to be putting up like tons of like, better numbers. Well, and that's cool, Rob, but this is the list for 2020, not I know. six years from now. I know, and I, like, and I like Ronald Acuna as my number three. I, I really like him a lot. Um all star finished fifth in the MVP votes. Won a Silver Slugger. I just, I just like Acuna's uh, intangibles a lot better, and I'll just leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> so for me, at number two, and I'm sure I'm about to catch a heck of a lot of flack for this, but I've got Christian Yelich of the Milwaukee Brewers. Only 130 games last year, and let me start this out by saying that had he not been injured, he's the MVP last season. I think that. I think that we've talked about this before, and I'm sure you probably agree with that statement because the numbers were insane last year. 44 home runs, 442 weight on base average, 174 WRC plus is insane. Put up almost eight war by fan graphs. 329, 429, 671 slash line. Uh, 2019, he was an all-star, second in the MVP, which, I mean, like I said before, I think he should have won MVP. Silver Slugger, led the league in the slash line uh, and OPS plus. But I'm not sure that, like, the reason I've got him at two is because he's only been this player the last two seasons. Uh, he had a large jump in hard hit percentage between Miami to Milwaukee, which I think it can be adjusted for with a difference in his uh, approach at the plate. But, I mean, this is, he's only been this guy for two seasons. Uh, I'll make my case more for Mookie Betts at one when we get there. I'll let you talk about him at two for you. But I just defensively Yelich isn't there either he's kind of a bit one-sided he's only got four defensive runs saved accumulatively for his entire career and he's also a year older than Mookie Betts so I'm going to take the the age there as well and so for that reason for those reasons I've got him at two okay so we already know who your two and one are mm -hmm. so wait should I just give you my two and one as well yeah I mean I think we know at this point so yeah so Mookie Betts is my number two um Still had a very special season last year. 295, batting average, 135 OPS plus, 35 points above average. Slugged 524. Uh, the dude got Madison baseball still once again. Um, he led the major leagues in runs, scored at 135. So this dude got on base a ton, almost 100 points higher than his batting average. Uh, very, very special player. Won a gold glove as well. Um, but for me, Christian Yelich is my number one. I just... I just, it's really hard for me to say, like, I, I mean, I agree, like, you know, he should, he should have won MVP, but I think he should have won MVP regardless. I mean, you look at his numbers that he had, even missing a full month, he led the majors in batting average, OBP, and slugging at 671. He had a higher OPS than Bellinger. You have to assume with that kind of rate that he was having, uh, he'd be leading in home runs and whatnot. And you take a look at his progression just from 2018. In 17 less games... He hit eight more home runs. He still put up 97 RBIs, 
30 stolen bags, eight more stolen bags. Uh, he also walked 80 times, so he really had a really a tremendous eye. It was the most walks, or he tied for the most walks uh, in his career. In 2017, he played in 156 games, and only in 130 games he matched that. And so I, I know it's hard, but, like, you have to assume that, like, even if he finished out that last month, we're talking, like, one of the best seasons ever in Major League Baseball history, I feel like. Uh, all-star, he was an all-star, finished second in the MVP votes, as we know, and he was a silver slugger. So he's my number one. Okay. And, well, uh, as this, it hasn't been spoiled already, I've got Mookie Betts. Uh, assumingly of the Los Angeles Dodgers, I guess we'll see, because this is his contract year anyways, at 27 years old. He had a down year last year played 150 games 29 home runs like you mentioned 295 391 524 380 weighted on base average 135 wrc plus still put up almost seven war as well as 16 defensive runs saved uh he's fourth for outfielders and outs above average led the league in runs but Mookie betts has been an mvp an mvp player his entire career the last four seasons for Mookie betts all-star four years four-time finish in the top eight and MVP finishes. He's finished first, second, sixth, and eighth. He won the MVP in 2018. Uh, four gold gloves in those four seasons and three silver sluggers. He's been the top 19 in MVP voting every season of his career except for his rookie season, and that's because he only played 52 games that year. Uh, defensively, out of this world. Uh, 30 defensive runs saved in both 2016 and 2017. 112 defensive runs saved for his entire career, which is 28 times the amount that Christian Yelich has had for his entire career. If you want to compare seasons, we can look at their MVP seasons, or should have been MVP season, I guess, for Yelich in 2019 versus Mookie Betts 2018, where he only played 136 games. He did hit less home runs at 32, but had a higher batting average on base percentage, uh, a higher weighted on base average a higher WAs RC plus at 185 to Yelch's 174 and put up 10.4 war because he does it defensively as well. So all of that, him being an MVP player his entire career versus Yelich just being that way for the last two, on top of everything that Betts brings defensively that Yelich doesn't bring to the game, which is a whole side of the game, especially the impact that Mookie Betts has with 112 runs saved his entire career, that was enough for me to still give him the edge at one. I'll tell you what, man. The NL MVP is going to be the most interesting thing to look at for the next eight years, if you really think about it. I mean, in the American League, Alex Bregman, Mike Trout, right? Pretty much. I think we can agree on that, based, like for the most part, and Aaron Judge, I guess. Well, and, and Judge, yeah. Yeah, but I'm, that's what I'm saying, right? In the National League, you got Juan Soto, you got Acuna, you got Freddie Freeman, you got Paul Goldschmidt. We could just go on and on. Yelich. Bellinger, Betts. I mean, I, I just don't want to waste your time because, like, I, it's going to be interesting to see, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, it's just so, – it's it's arbitrary in a way. But I definitely see where you're coming from for sure. I mean, I could – he, he has had a very solidified career. Mookie Betts is tremendous. I, I, it's going to be interesting to see, though, how he does in the National League. You know, maybe he does a lot better too because different pitchers haven't faced him. Or maybe he does worse because, you know, it's the same reasons, right? Different pitchers, ballparks, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But uh, shall we go through our top ten list? Yeah. Do you want to run through yours or you want me to go through first? I'll go through first. I'll go through first. Okay. So at number ten, Noah, do you want to say the name? Mikey Stremsky. <laughs> yes, my number ten. At number nine, I got Castellanos. 
At eight, I have Max Kepler. At seven, I have Alex Verdugo. At six, I got Joey Gallo. At five, I have Aaron Judge. At four, I have Bryce Harper. At three, I have Ronald Acuna Jr. At two, I have Mookie Betts. And at number one, Christian Yelich. For me, at 10, I've got Cassianos, 9, Max Kepler, 8, Michael Conforto, 7, Joey Gallo, 6, J.D. Martinez, 5, Bryce Harper, 4, Ronald Acuna, 3, Aaron Judge, 2, Christian Yelich, and 1, Mookie Betts. Here we go. So, with that being said, I think we hit every single position other than pitchers, which is kind of hard to do unless we wanted to do, like, if we had to create a five-man rotation, but that's just kind of insane. What would you want to do next week, perhaps? Well, I know we had talked about it. We'll see if we can get it uh, set up to do. But I, one of our viewers had mentioned, I, I guess it's been a few weeks ago now, I'm not sure, but they'd recommended playing a game between our top players at each position. So I think that that could be a cool thing to do. Uh, let us know if that's something you guys want to see. I think it'd be a lot of fun to just play a game with our top guys and see how it plays out. Yeah, let us know in the chat, and we'll play on Legend difficulty. I'm sure you'll see me rage, but you know it's 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 PG. You know it's a it's a Christian family family friendly <laughs> uh, server, as Kevin God mentions. But I think that'd be a really cool idea. Let me know, guys, in the chat, or even on Twitter if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or on our website. Um, I think that'd be a lot of fun because I know we've had similar number ones, but like just like today, right? You know, I had Yelich, mm-hmm. you had Betts. So if we take our our starting nine, pitching can be whatever. Um, I think it'd be no Kluber. It would be interesting. I say we just keep it live series for for pitchers. The sake of the yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll probably I'll probably use Degrom since I have Degrom. He's one of the best pitchers. Um, so, but that'd be kind of cool. The only thing is too, if we don't have a certain player for live series, we'll just use our number two. So, for instance, mm-hmm. my center fielder. I don't have Mike Trout. He's too expensive. I forget who I had as my number two, to be honest with you. Uh, Probably Bellinger. Oh, yeah, it was Bellinger. Okay, yeah, I have Bellinger. So I, I, I want to take – hold on. Let's wait a minute. I want to see real quick. At catcher, I had JT Romuto. I know you did not have Romuto, did you? Or did you? I had Grandal. I th- well, maybe. Yeah, I had Grandal. I think so. you had Grandal. So I had Romuto at catcher. At first base, I had – I did not have Matt Olson. I had Freddie Freeman. You had Matt Olson. Yep. At second base, uh, who did you have? I, uh, I think I LeMahieu. I don't remember. I probably should remember because I'm currently working on an article for the website for Second Baseman. But <laughs> I think I had <laughs> so, LeMahieu. So, yeah, I, you know what? Tune into my article this week on Second Baseman to find out who I had as my top Second Baseman or listen to the podcast from yeah, Second Baseman. I, I don't remember who I had at shortstop either. Oh, I think I, I had Javi. I had Javi, I think. I think. Maybe. No, I did have Lindor. It had to have been Lindor. Javi must have been a hot second. At third base, I had... Uh, I don't think it was. Oh, it was Rendon. I had Rendon. I don't have Rendon's card, so I might have to go with my number two, who was Nolan Arenado. Okay, remember who I had? Left field. Left field was Juan Soto. Uh, center field. Okay, so yeah, yeah. Cool. So yeah, guys. But thank you guys so much for tuning into this podcast. If you haven't seen the documentary Imperfect, you need to check it out on on the ESPN app. I'm sure you can find highlights of it on YouTube. Like I said, if you're an avid or even the average baseball fan, I think you will appreciate and you will love this story. And it is sad, 
but I think you guys will love it. And then also uh, be sure, it would be awesome if you follow us on Facebook, just backslash uh, Chalk Talk Nation. Uh, follow us on Twitch, obviously, if you're new. And follow us on Twitter, as you can see on the screens. But until next time at 6 p.m. Eastern time, uh, we will see you then. Stay, uh, stay focused or stay focused. Who says that? <laughs> be on the lookout for Noah's article. And then uh, be sure to check out our Twitter for updates on what our next podcast episode is going to be. So thank you guys so much. Take care and have a good week.